are worlds between our own, and from these worlds there are written histories, both ancient and modern. To read of these testaments scrawled in hidden places and on other things, you must fix your eyes uncomfortably within you, and if successful, your gaze will unlock the door behind raw imagination and meet the manuscript of innumerable folios known as the Dark Darkness. Hello, I'm Sharkchild, and this is The Dark Verse, short stories of occult, metaphysical, and fantastical horror that will follow you to the visions of your sleep. It's Halloween, and I've got a new episode of The Dark Verse fresh out of the grave for you. And this one is a little bit unique it's kind of cool it's kind of my own little trilogy so there's three little mini tales wrapped up and bundled under the overarching uh, plot of the story as a whole so i'm excited to share that with you and there's actually a very very cool easter egg within the story it's actually all over the story and hopefully someone will figure it out if you want to run your guest by me, go ahead and message me and I'll confirm or deny what that uh, hidden little inspiration gem is. Now, before I get into the story, I just want to say that the Dark Verse Volume 4 hardcover book is here. I have the inventory. I have the books. I'm selling them. Go to sharkchild.com if you would like a signed copy of this new edition of the physical format of the Dark Verse. It has some awesome artwork by John F. Stifter more than ever and you can also get it on Amazon but uh, the copies there are not signed and then of course if you want to support the ongoing creations of the dark verse you can do that at patreon.com slash the dark verse and now uh, the pledges are only made for each creation I make no matter how much time is in between so it's not monthly it's just based on when I create all right let's get into this story this is episode 115 of the Dark Verse, and it is entitled Orchestrations of the Stitted. The burden of sickness is mine, but not by any physical ailment. I am plagued with the infection of story, a disease inflicted by the stitted the complexion, the weaver of worlds. It holds dominion not by possession, but by the infusion of dreadful tale. Like flames of the same fire flickering upon multifarious candles, the stitted burns different stories into the mind, impregnable, vexing narratives that once unlocked can never again be forgotten or buried. And as more stories form like sores in the consciousness, they grow together as a monstrosity of arcane wonder, of enlightened vision, and of death. And do not be tempted, 
For this is not wonder like the marvel of the cosmos. This is the forced wonder of perennial, unnatural, and incomprehensible wickedness. The power of the stidid originates beyond its reins. Its stories are not crafted by it, but, rather, placed by it, planted like a minuscule trifle seed that sprouts into an enormous tree. What starts as a small sprout then begins to produce branches. Then those branches develop more branches, and on and on until the network of this infection is so vast and so rooted that the spirit ushers itself into oblivion. Have now these few branches, these iniquitous orchestrations of fable, and warn those who may take comfort in moonlit walks and whimsical reveries, the hunting grounds of the stidded. Camper fire! In the middle of the night, an aged man relaxed back in a folding chair and took a deep breath on a charred, twisted cigar. As he exhaled, he watched his emissions overlay and perceptually mingle with the smoke of the campfire before him. The crackle of the wood created a sense of awe and thought, and the man took this time to embrace both. Within the campsite, two tents were erected and a satchel of food hung from one of the surrounding pine trees. Two chairs across from him and one more beside him were vacant. Potent energies congregated and swirled around the campfire, changing the colors of the flames from orange to a dark purple. It was a very large fire, and it was not only burning wood. Four lumps of charred flesh and bone fueled the flames as well, extending the tentacles over the boundaries of the pit right up and into the face of the tranquil old man who did not flinch. Once his cigar had expired, the aged man stood, paused for a moment to reflect on the decision that had been predetermined, and then stepped into the purple fire. The nascent star maps of the scorching campers, the positioning of celestial bodies within the universe at the time of their births, overlaid on one another and orientated an astral destination within the cosmos that the aged man was instantly transported to. At this location, tucked away amongst the endless void of ever-expanding dark energy, the man materialized as a fetus, a contorted conception of astrological power and of multiple lives reborn like the bloom of different flower species grafted together. The fetal humanoid floated before an audience of stars and twitched. Embryo gum. With each chew, you can feel new life forming within you. Turn back time and embrace a more youthful you. Those were the words written on the small tin held in the hand of a teenage girl. She had found it remaining in a side pouch of an old trunk she purchased at a garage sale. Embryo gum, it was called. The image on the tin showed a horde of fierce demonic creatures surrounding a jagged, rock-like egg. 
Through several cracks in the egg, bursts of yellow energy erupted into the sky where clouds funneled into a cavity. Sitting on the hardwood floor of her room, with warm rays of morning light streaming between her partially shuttered windows, the girl opened the tin to inspect its contents. Three pieces of gum remained, wrapped in decorative paper that matched the texture of the egg on the tin's image. She reached inside, grabbed one, and unwrapped it. The purple piece of gum was a plump, squishy little ball. With the slightest pressure, the tender, gelatinous consistency could be felt between the fingers, an inviting sensation to the palate. Eagerly, yet slightly apprehensively, she placed the piece of gum in her mouth and began to chew. It felt to her as if she were crunching down on little limbs, as if she could interpret the body part she was chewing on, the popping of eyes, the squishing of brain, the crunching of tiny bones. It was detestable, but she could not stop chewing. There was something about the savory flavor and sensation that was addictive. With each swallowing of succulent saliva, it were as if the rich fluid went straight to her brain instead of down her esophagus. It created a tingling feeling, like goosebumps of the mind. And no later than these bursts of ecstasy began did the skin of her head and face start to harden into rock. She chewed and chewed, and soon she chewed beneath rock lips and rock eyes and a rock nose, until her breath ran out and her fully rock head cracked off her neck and shoulders as a weight too heavy to be carried. When the stone dome fell to the floor, it cracked and rolled a few feet before coming to a stop. The rest of the girl's body also fell to the floor, with blood pouring generously from the opened neck. Through the cracks on the cobble head, a twisted sound emitted. The chewing. It continued. Rock teeth uncannily clinked together over and over and over for several minutes until there was a burst of golden light within, ceasing the enduring activity. Right as he cast his line out into the water, a middle-aged man noticed a yellow glow emanating from the bottom of the small lake he fished on. It was a strong light, and it was beckoning. The sun had only just begun to rise, still invisible behind the eastern mountains, so there were no conflicting reflections upon the glossy surface of the water. At his current location, the man guessed the depth to be around fifteen feet. It was too unnatural of a beacon to ignore. The fisherman was able-bodied and a competent swimmer, so he was compelled to investigate. He reeled in his line, maneuvered his rowboat closer to the source, and stripped down to his undergarments. After breathing in and out deeply for a couple minutes to increase the oxygen in his bloodstream, he took his largest breath and dove into the lake towards the light. Through the murky waters, the light cut sharply, making it easy for the man to descend accurately and efficiently. In a matter of seconds, he had arrived at the source of the light. It was a jagged round boulder, 
about the size of an average watermelon. Within its contour was a large fissure, through which the light shone. The opening was wide enough to reach within, so the fisherman extended his hand inside. His digits were met by a viscous, immiscible gel that began to crawl up his arm. The gel glowed radiantly, like neon honey, and it felt comforting. Curious at first, the fisherman allowed the gel to course along his limb. But as his oxygen approached depletion and he decided to ascend to the surface, he found his arm to be irretrievable. It would not break away from the ooze. The fisherman panicked. He fought with all of his might to free his arm, but his efforts were futile, and all the while the gel enveloped more and more of his body. Only when the substance had covered him completely did the boulder release him. By this time, it was already too late. The man was unconscious. The limp, glowing fisherman floated a few feet sideways, and then the ooze, by some power it held in enveloping the man, slipped the flesh off of his body like a glove, threaded it up through an opening above his head, and then slid the skin inside out back over itself and the body together, encasing the two entities as one. Instantly, the thing... A thing that was human in form, but no longer human in essence, nor contain any remaining vestige of the fisherman's vitality, came to life and pushed vigorously off the lake bed floor to lunge itself up towards the surface. It continued to propel itself forward with contorted, awkward movements, unfamiliar with how to use its body, but successful for the same reason, because it did not fill itself with water. Once at the surface, the lake bean climbed atop the rowboat and sat itself upon the bench. It tilted its head back and fixed its gaze up into the sky, eyes, mouth, and nose gaping and glowing yellow, never altering. There it remained. As I complete this cautionary expenditure, I see that this was not a lesson. This was defilement, desecration, doomed for all exposed to my message. I have exacted the opposite of my intentions. I have been the Stidid's agent. I have been fooled by my charity and inflicted the disease instead of prevented it. I have planted the seeds. That concludes episode 115 of The Dark verse you can download and listen to all of the past episodes on soundcloud or on your favorite podcast app or site as well as at thedarkverse.com if you have a second please rate the podcast on your favorite platform Uh, that would be greatly helpful and then of course if you'd like to support the podcast you can do that at patreon.com slash the dark verse or by purchasing the grand dark verse hardcover books until the next tale all stories on the dark verse are the sole property of shark child and cannot be used for distribution publication or monetary gain without his written consent sleep deeply and remember to love